Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Remnant by Reclaim 611. I am Carrie Sherado, and I am your host, and this is your second podcast mini, and the title of this one is Recognize. So, uh, like I said, my goal, y'all, is to do this in less than 20 minutes. So, this is like a pretty large content when it comes to recognize because we're looking at red flags um, and understanding um this a little bit more in depth, okay? So my goal is 20 minutes, so let's get started. Recognize. So first let's talk about, there's really four elements we're gonna talk about. One is the at-risk population. So really of anybody can be a victim of human, of sex trafficking, okay? Those that are the greatest risk of being sex trafficked are our youth, runaways, those involved in the foster care system, CPS, the judicial system, and history of physical or sexual abuse. Even though there may there are distinct um, high-risk persons for sex trafficking, really anyone, even from a stable home or a nice suburban neighborhood, um, can be trafficked, okay? So it really could touch anybody. Nobody is exempt from this. Now, there is a lot of evidence um, it's pretty strong and consistent within the research that the age of entry into human trafficking is between the ages of 11 and 17. Um, sex trafficking predominantly involves exploitation of females, but we're not going to ignore our boys here. Okay, we're going to talk about men and boys here as well. Um, but there are a lot of limitations to human trafficking studies and statistics, such as their age bias studies, the understanding that adults are just more likely to use hotlines and resources and things like that of this nature. So it's hard to tell, but there is a lot of strong evidence between that age range between 11 and 17. All right. Um, moving on. So familiar industries, we talked a little bit about typologies in uh, podcast mini one. Um, but a couple of them that we're just talking about industries, pornography, strip clubs, escort services, hotels, bars, massage, fake massage and nail salon businesses, um, sold online. Let's just put a big red mark right there because that is like number one hitter. Any social media platform is at risk for trafficking um, and grooming. Um, Facebook, Craigslist, social media apps, you name it. Um, I don't have to go through them all. Large sporting events, um, Super Bowls, horse races, right? There's a, an increased effort um, in the anti-human trafficking community around the Super Bowl. Um, where there's men and money, there is trafficking, business conferences. Sorry to say it, but it's true. It's the M&M. Where you will find men and money, you will find trafficking. Um, there is some interesting um, research that has been done. And there was a study done in 2013, which is a while ago, but I thought it was really interesting because this really shows you the health risk factors and comorbidities of sex trafficking. Um, and it talked about out of these women who were trafficked, um, it said 100% had a mental health problem. 94% had an addiction problem. 80% were suicidal at one point, 81% received an injury, and 100% had an abortion while being trafficked. So these are health risks we need to really be identifying as we perform um, for our healthcare professionals. When we're doing our HPIs and a review of our medical records. We need to be looking for this history um, or if they're verbalizing it them themselves. Um, just special attention should be taken to reviewing those electronic medical records, especially if they're um, for those of you that's available. Um, I've really found in my practice this is such a great way to risk stratify the concern for my patient's safety at times when victims have had previous encounters for STIs, pregnancies, trauma, and our mental health concerns in general.
All right. Um, so this is like, this is a quote from a survivor. It said, I had my first encounter with a wolf in sheep's clothing on a cold rainy day in the middle class suburb of Dallas. A man offered to take me where it was warm and dry, get some food and rest and rest a while. Within two days, I was being trafficked to child predators across Dallas. You might've heard me say that quote before. Um, Jen, a survivor of trafficking, um, but it's just worth stating it again. Okay, so we're going to talk about domestic minor sex trafficking. This is the commercial sexual abuse of children through the buying and selling or trading for their sexual services. So this can involve engaging a person younger than 18, right? Um, and these are your industries. Could be prostitution, pornography, stripping, escort services, survival sex, or other sexual services. Now, survival sex is exactly what it sounds like. It's having sex for survival. It's exchanging something of value in order to survive, whether it's um, because of food, whether they need to exchange drugs, whether they need to exchange shelter, whatever it is, they are using sex or using their bodies to survive in the world. That's what survival sex is. Um, so for domestic minor sex trafficking, even in the instance where there is no third party involved in which a minor is compensated for the sex act by the acceptance of something of value does not change the legal determination that a minor cannot consent to the commercial sexual exploitation. This is by Shared Hope International, this um, definition. So basically a third party referring to a pimp or a trafficker that a minor engaged in sexual exploitation for anything of value, right? Drugs, transportation, housing, food, money is by definition domestic minor sex trafficking. All right, so who are your really high risk youth? Um, well, youth are really our greatest risks are, are the greatest risk factor for sex trafficking. There are more categories of youth that make the pediatric population even more vulnerable to sex trafficking, but um, it it is estimated that one in six of runaways are at risk for being victims of human trafficking. 77% of runaways were reported to the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children, and they were 15 to 17 years old. 40% of homeless in the U.S. are younger than 18 years old. 50% of youth aging out of the foster care system and juvenile detention will be homeless within six months. It is estimated that 68% of missing children who are also likely victims of sex trafficking were in the child welfare system when they went missing. Now, I told you we weren't going to forget our boys and our men. It's a 40 to 50% of boys exploited through prostitution had been thrown out of their homes because of sexual identity issues. They're two times at risk for being homeless and five times at risk for being trafficked. Whew, that was a lot. Um, let's talk about traffickers next, okay? A trafficker is someone who exploits another person for sex or labor with the use of force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of personal gain. Now, there are some studies that talk about the demographics of a sex trafficker. Um, so I have a couple here. Um, this was taken from a group of 25 pimps out of Chicago. It said the average age to start trafficking women for sex was 22 years of age. The average income was 150000 to 500000 um, And the number of women pimped was approximately 4,135. Um and 72% of the traffickers were male. 
Now, women are involved in this um, a lot of times used as recruiters, right? Because there's less red flags if it's a woman making a relationship or starting a relationship or grooming with a, a female rather than a male. And so they're smart. They know they know how to go under the radar. Um, so that's a lot of times while you will um, see females in recruiting um, positions underneath a pimp. All right. Um, next, we have who are the traffickers of sex trafficking? Now, this is a pretty big statistic, but it is estimated that parents and guardians account for 45 to 55% of traffickers of minors. The role of the parent, foster parent, and guardians cannot be over, understate, overstated here, y'all. We, we have to remember that we, we can't overlook just because it's a parent or a foster parent or um, 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 somebody within their small social realm, a teacher, a coach, a pastor, um, it could be a, a male, it could be a female, um, an, a, a neighbor, it could be anybody, um, usually within their, their, their close social network. We particularly need to be aware when you have concerns that parents or guardians appear to have drug or alcohol dependency, um, right? Because when they can't get their fix or they need something, they, they, it's very likely, and time and time again we see it, is they will sell their children, um, so they will traffic their minors to pay for their drug habit or whatever it is. Most often the trafficker is within the social circle of the trafficked victim, right? And they are a friend of the friend or an adult they have developed a, a relationship with or a family member. Um, it's really imperative to understand, you guys, that the victim um, presents without their trafficker. Um, this may be like in healthcare and they may not have the trafficker present. It's symbolic of the amount of control that trafficker has over their victim. It doesn't mean they're um, more free. It means they're more controlled. There's more trauma um, that's gone on. They're more loyal to that person because of the amount of abuse um, that has been imposed on them. Okay, so traffickers really target your basic needs. So let's talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We've all probably heard that at some level. The food, shelter, love, money, safety, jobs, things that you need um, that they target those basic needs of a vulnerable adult or that child, um, and they prey on them. Um, they're very calculated predators who've made it their life's purpose to identify vulnerabilities and prey on them. So a couple building blocks of recruitment. So you have this relationship of trust that's established. Um, this phase, a trafficker presents as a friend or a boyfriend, business partner, or caretaker, um, and the abuser or exploiter role is usually very much hidden, right? Because these are all that lies, the fraud. Um, it is not unusual for traffickers often to use women to recruit, like I was talking about, or traffickers can often be a woman. Um, or they can be a woman, often are recruiters. Um, these women are facilitators to the trafficker and are often called what we call the bottom girl or the bottom bitch. Bottom girls were once trafficking victims um, who have gained that trafficker's enough trust to now assume the role of the abuser as well. Um, they're kind of that right-hand person to the pimp. Um, so you have this period of relationship and you're establishing trust. And then you have a period usually of isolation where they have got that person away, whether they have been um, trafficked internationally, maybe a labor trafficking situation, um, and now they have them, they've moved them, they've gotten on that plane or wherever it is, and now they have that person is in isolation. And then that methodology of abuse, or whether it's the girlfriend or boyfriend, and they get 
They lure them away from their family, and now he or she has them isolated. And now that methodology of abuse and control comes out. A lot of survivors will tell you there was just something that changed. Um, It was just like a a one-day kind of thing, maybe within a couple hours, um, that something just flipped. And they asked them to do something that they've never asked them to do, said that it was a one-time thing. Um, They were doing it. If they loved him, they would do this. And then, of course, it wasn't a one-time thing, or it was just complete abuse from the very beginning um, um, and forced into this life. So traffickers and their tactics, a lot of times that boyfriend tactic, violence, and the big one, the internet, okay? Especially since 2020, the internet is probably increased. (coughs) I'm not going to pretend I know the statistic on how much it's increased because I don't know off the top of my head, but um, I think we could all agree that... um, that is probably one of the biggest tactics um, of trafficking and grooming. Um, so moving on a little bit, I want to talk about the buyers of sex. So this is typically a buyer of sex is called, they're called a John. Um, there's a trafficker, he, he, there's a um, quote I have here that says, sex sells like wildfire, said one. It's like sticking your hole, your pole into a fishing hole somebody is going to bite. Um, so... In essence, buyers of sex, it's really hard to kind of profile a buyer of sex. And there was some benchmark studies that came out a couple years ago I was kind of excited about because I thought maybe it would help us a little bit. But really, when it came down to, they can be anybody. It's really impossible to give a profile of every buyer of sex. Um, In this particular study, it said it was mostly men, annual income of $100,000 or more. They spend an average of $100 per transaction. Um, And 89% contacted 89% contacted an online paid sex ad. All right. So they were talking about the online stuff again. You know, this is a major supply and demand. As long as there is buyers willing to use others for personal satisfaction and you have an at-risk population, which we have plenty of those and even more in the last two years, and you have a trafficker willing to use others for personal profit, you have a supply and demand issue. All right, um, and then just quickly, I like to go over the so- cultural. So, oh my goodness, let me start over. Cultural normalization of sexual exploitation. Um, there's really three categories that really drive cultural normalization. That's online access, it's pornography, and a really over-sexualized culture, which we are. I would um, anyone who wants to talk about that and say we're not. Um, bring it. Um, Media greatly normalizes prostitution through advertisements, magazines, TV, music, all of the above. And often these media channels suggest that prostitution is often a victimless crime. Social media is used to target victims for grooming and to advertise customers. Pornography legitimizes the buying and selling of others for the use of sexual exploitation. Not all users of porn, right, like translate into purchasers of sex. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a strong correlation that most buyers of sex are frequent viewers of pornography. Okay, and there is more revenue in the pornography industry than in the National Football League, the National Basketball League, and the Major League Baseball combined. All right, mic drop right there. I don't know, can't argue with that. All right, so we're going to go through a couple terminologies here. I kind of talked to you guys about the bottom girl already. It's really that girl appointed to the trafficker that supervises others. They're kind of in that role. They even will keep the business going. Um, They're kind of that right-hand person. 
There's also something called branding. Now, victims of trafficking are basically treated like cattle. Um, they are often tattooed or there's a carving or a burn on a victim that indicates ownership by a trafficker or a pimp or a gang. Um, traffickers or pimps often like to um, require their victims to call them daddy. Hold on. I'm getting there to my next terminology here. Um, the game and the life. Really, the terms the game and the life is a subculture of prostitution. It's complete with all its rules and hierarchy of authority and language, referring to the act of pimping as the game. Gives the illusion that it can be a fun and easy way to make money when the really is much harsher, obviously. Um, women and girls will say that they have been in the life if they've been involved in exploitation for a while. So I just like to say if you are engaging in patients or people who are in the life or say that they're in prostitution, um, you can use that term. How long have you been in the life? How long have you been out of the life or the game? Um, this is not a term that you have to be afraid to use. Um, it's, it's, it's a very well-known term and you're not being really offensive by using it in the right context. Um, a quota, this is a set amount. So in, in trafficking, there's an amount that a trafficking victim has to make each night before he or she can come home. And most survivors will tell you, you know what that quota is and you're not going to come home without it because you've learned once and you don't want to learn again um, what happens to you when you don't come home with that amount. Um, so it may vary according to, to the geographic region or the local events or whatever's going on, but that is what a quota is. And you may hear that as well. All right. So I am actually going to end because we're at 17 minutes and I told you it would be less than 20 minutes. So I'm going to stop with my terminology, y'all. And we are going to do more recognize. Um, I'm going to do two parts. Okay. I just decided this because there's no way I can do this in one 20 minute segment. Okay. So stay tuned. So maybe you went to work and you finished this this uh, mini. So on the way home, you're going to listen to part two of recognize. Okay, y'all. Um, if you want to check us out on our website, it's www.reclaim611.org. And you can always email us at support at reclaim611.org. Have a wonderful day and see you on part two of recognize. <laughs>